Father, uh, tonight we do thank you once again, Lord. Uh, uh, we have the opportunity to gather here. Lord, we can get in out of the elements and, and come together and study your word. And I do pray, God, that as we move from the time of singing to the time being in your word, that our heart of worship would continue. And God, that we would, we would see you in your word. God, that we would believe uh, your word, that we would apply it to our lives, that we would see ourselves. And Lord, tonight as we, as we look at Zechariah again, just thinking about who he's talking to, what's going on in his world at his time, and Lord, how incredible that must have been. And, and yet, Lord, you're showing him things that, that are so far in the future for him and some things that are even far in our future. Uh, Lord, I thank you that, that, God, you're not limited by time and space. So I do pray you would bless this time, that you'd open up our hearts, and, and Lord, just, again, draw us close to you that we can know and understand you and love you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, uh, as we've been looking at Jeremiah, remember the first, uh, uh, the first six chapters dealt with those visions. He had eight separate visions in one night, and we went through those, and then seven and eight is when he was dealing with uh, the, the uh, remnant that was coming back and what they were doing, and some of them were stuck in tradition, some of them were doing things just out of habit, and he was addressing that. Now, starting in chapter nine, all the way through the end, Zechariah gets this vision, and part of it is uh, uh, dealing with some of what's going on, not necessarily immediately in their future, but some a little bit further in their future. And then some of it goes all the way out to the millennium. And something to keep in mind, I like to keep reminding us when we're looking at the prophets, we need to understand that, hey, they saw one thing. And sometimes that one thing they saw could come at two or three events. They would see the, the coming of Jesus or the Messiah and in their minds, and that, that would mean it might be the first coming, might be the second coming, or it might be the first and second coming, but they're not seeing it that way. Remember, God is just showing them a vision, and we have then the, the opportunity from our perspective where we can see where it separates out some. So keep that in mind, and, and uh, they didn't always see, quote, what we saw. And the first part of this is intriguing to me because I think this first part is dealing mostly with Alexander the Great. Again, in their future, not so much what was going on, but remember what was happening to those people. They came back, they were released from captivity, they came back, they began rebuilding the temple. And some of the people there, some of the Jews there said, oh, you guys are doing such a bad job. You know, we remember the temple of glory and why are you doing this? Kind of that thing, you know, and, and stuck in the old. Don't be someone stuck in the old, even if you are old. Don't get stuck in the old. You don't have to be there. And they were kind of, they were hassling them that way. So they, they had that coming against them. And then, remember, nations around them are now where we left off in Ezra. Those of you who have been with us, remember we're Ezra and we jumped to, to Haggai and Zechariah. Those nations are coming around them trying to stop them. And I think this is the importance of the first part of what we're reading tonight, that they would understand that God is gonna deal with those nations. And I think, I think for a lot of us, I don't know about you guys, maybe I'm speaking out of, out of turn, 
But oftentimes, it doesn't seem like God does things quick enough, at least from my perspective. You know, I think he should go a little bit faster, get things done, and, and you know, sometimes I even sit and say, Lord, why are you taking your time? Like, we could get through this and we could get it done. So, for them, remember, this is going to be future for them, but yet it is dealing with the very problem that they had around them. So, it begins here in in verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, the burden of the word of the Lord against the land. Now, when it says a burden, here's what he's saying. The judgment of the Lord. So it's interesting how, you know, sometimes in the Old Testament they would use that word burden, but it's the judgment of the Lord. So this is the Lord bringing judgment against these nations. And it says, listen, again, the burden of the word of the Lord against the land of Hadrach and Damascus, its resting place. And then it says, for the eyes of the men and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord. And you know, studying that, it, it kind of didn't make sense to me the way that goes. It's parenthetical. And I don't, think that, I don't think the tribes of Israel were necessarily looking to the Lord at that time. And then as, as you look at it and read a couple Hebrew scholars that dig a little deeper, it's kind of almost worded backwards that it's the eyes of the Lord are on the tribes of the people. And, and so, you know, it's worded in a way their eyes are on him because his eyes are on them so he's watching out for them bottom line and their biggest enemy at that time would have been Syria which Damascus represents and then a little bit further further north the Hadrach so so then it tells us in verse 2 also against Hamath which borders on it and against Tyre and Sidon though they are very wise for Tyre built herself a tower and heaped up silver like the dust and gold like the uh, like the mire of the streets behold the Lord will cast her out and will destroy her power in the sea and she will be devoured by fire Ashkelon shall see it and fear Gaza shall also be very sorrowful and Ekron for he dried up her expectations and the king shall perish from Gaza and Ashkelon shall not be inhabited so if, if you get a map he's coming here's what's happening if you watch how Alexander the Great conquered that area he conquered up north and then he just came down on that Phoenician coast and came down and would conquer each city and when Alexander conquered a city he destroyed it he didn't leave anything behind so that's the guy he was. So these are the very places that were coming against them. Philistia and, and those, those territories were coming against Israel as they're trying to build. So this is, again, looking in the future. It's not, it's not real distant future for them, but it is a future. God is going to come and judge them. And once again, for you and I, we need to know something, man. God is on our side, and we need to understand that. And hey, well, you know what? People are not getting away with things. Nations are not getting away when, you know, sometimes people ask me, how can God tolerate all of the evil that's going on in the world? That's a fair question. And it's scary when you look out there. But here's what I know. God will judge it in his time, in his way, and it will be proper when he does it, and it will be right when he does it. And I simply need to learn how to trust him. Probably, if I was sitting in Israel in Jerusalem, working on a temple, and I had some crazy guy named Zechariah coming and telling me this, I would probably say, not soon enough. It's not fair. How come he's not doing it right now? 
Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm glad that Jesus didn't come before I got saved. I'm glad he waited till I got saved. To, and, and we need to kind of remember that. We, you know, we, we often, you know, especially when we, when we celebrate the Lord's table, we, we cry out, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But hey, there's some people that need to get saved. Like last weekend, almost 8,000 people, you know, needed that. So, you know, kind of remember that when you read that. Now, again, it's interesting as you go down this that, that he mentions, uh, you know, five of those chief cities. If you, if you remember when David fought Goliath and the Philistines and he mentioned five of the chief cities, the only one he left out was Gath. I'm not sure, maybe Gath at that time wasn't important, but you kind of see here is, here is Alexander the Great marching down and... He's getting close to Jerusalem. So what is Alexander the Great gonna do when he gets to Jerusalem? That's the big question. And maybe even perhaps Zechariah is giving them this prophecy because they are busy rebuilding the temple. They will be busy worshiping God. And what are you gonna do when you hear this war machine is slowly coming your direction and you're just this little pocket of, of Jews in this place, and this guy is coming at you, I'd be a little bit nervous. I'd be a little bit scared. So he lays all of that out, and then he tells them, and again, in verse six, and a mixed race shall, uh, I'm sorry, a mixed race shall settle in Ashdod and will be cut off, and I will cut off the pride of the Philistines, and I will take away the blood from his mouth and the abominations from between his teeth but he who remains, even he shall be for our God, and he shall be like a leader in Judah and Ekron, uh, like a Jebusite. I will camp around my house because of the army and because of him who passes by and him who returns. No more shall an oppressor pass through them, for now I have seen with my eyes." Zechariah is saying, here's what's gonna happen. God is gonna surround Jerusalem. And it's interesting, you can read Josephus' accounts of, of what happened. And uh, you know, I always like to caution people. A lot of, a lot of people just quote Josephus and, and move on. Josephus was a historian, not always real accurate. You need to know that. And he was a traitor. Kind of, you know, keep in mind, you know, because some people forget that. He was a traitor against the Jews and took Rome's side. So, you know, there's a little bit, when I read Josephus, I kind of I read it and go, okay, that could be true, but that may not be true. But his account of, of uh, uh, Alexander coming, and I, I kind of think he might embellish it a little bit. He ends up that Alexander bowed down and Alexander worshiped the God and had them offer sacrifices for him and stuff. That doesn't sound like the Alexander the Great I read about, you know? So maybe he did it, maybe not, you know? Josephus wasn't alive at that time, but recording it. But nonetheless, here's what God says. He's gonna come down, and when he gets to my house, he's gonna go around my house. He's not gonna mess with my house. And that much we know, that was fact. And then he left, and then he says, and he will return. And when he came back through, he went around his house, which was highly unlikely, for homework. Read Daniel, read Daniel 10, 11, and 12. Those are, those are the favorite parts of Daniel. That was sarcasm. 
Because Daniel is talking about the king of the north and the queen of the south, and, and he's doing all of these things, and, and he's talking about the time after Alexander the Great when, when the, the, all that he conquered gets split up between his four generals, and, and then you end up with the two main ones, the Ptolemies and the uh, Seleucids, and, and they begin fighting each other. And when they fought each other, here was a crazy thing. Every time they fought each other, they would go through, and they would have to go through Jerusalem or through Israel and they would stop along the way beat Israel up and then go fight their battle and then on their way back they would beat Israel up no matter whether they came from the south or the north and it seemed like Israel always caught it so for Alexander the Great not to do this was kind of amazing and you know later on that happens to them so here's what he says that's going to happen now now he begins a, a prophecy that we're familiar with. Look at verse 9. It says, Rejoice, O daughter of, of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt the foal of a donkey. Matthew 21. We just read that, right? We just saw that. So listen, that's coming. And always listen. Always, if a king came on a donkey, he's coming in peace. Alexander the Great never rode a donkey. Just saying. He always came on a, on a, on a stallion and came roaring in and roaring out. So here's what he's saying. That's going to happen, and then the Messiah is going to come. And then he almost, listen, verse 10 almost sounds like it goes all the way to the second coming. And he says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow, bow, bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Listen, he, he's got, you got two verses back to back that are separated by millenniums. And yet, Zechariah's not seeing it that way. That's what we have to understand. So no wonder when Jesus came, they were a little bit confused about the Messiah because they couldn't see the, you know, quote, the valleys I always like to talk about. You know, when you're driving out here in the West, you know, you see mountains and it looks like one's right behind the other till you get close enough. And then you see there's a huge valley that you thought they were like this. And then when you get there, there's this huge valley. And the same thing for these guys. The closer we get to the fulfillment, we then begin to see the valley and the separation in between. So listen, man, that separation comes. Now in verse 11, 11, I think through the end of the chapter, I believe he's talking about that Maccabean area and again, or era, not necessarily, listen, not necessarily the book of Maccabees, but what took place during the reign of the Maccabees. And that, again, has to do with the, with the Seleucids and the, the Ptolemies, and, and you had Antiochus Epiphanes, one of the leaders. He's coming down, and he's going to come against Jerusalem, and he's going to try and slaughter a pig on the altar, and that's when the Maccabees stand up, and they go, not on our watch, you're not going to do that. And they begin to cleanse the temple, and the whole idea, they didn't have enough oil when they began to cleanse the temple. They only had oil for one day but the oil miraculously lasted seven days hence you have the celebration of Hanukkah 
And that's why they light a candle for seven days and celebrate that. So all of that came out of that. That's where Hanukkah comes from was that time period. I think he's describing that here as he talks about in the next few verses. And he says, as for you also, in verse 11, because of the blood of, the, of your covenant, I will set you prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you, for I have bent Judah my bow and fitted the bow with Ephraim. So Judah's the bow and Ephraim's the arrow. And I will cause your sons and daughters, uh, your, your, I'm sorry, I will raise up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you... Uh, like the sword of a mighty man. Then the Lord will be seen over them and his arrow will go forth like lightning and the Lord will bow, blow the trumpet and will go with whirlwinds from the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them and they shall devour and subdue with sling stones and they shall dr uh, drink and roar as if, uh, as, with, as if with wine and they shall be filled with the blood of the, ba uh, they shall be filled with blood like basins like the corners of the altar and the Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people for they shall be like jewels of the crown lifted like a banner over his land for how great is it uh, how, or for how great is its goodness and how great its beauty grain shall make the young men thrive and new wine the young women so again, I think that's just, a, that's just a really condensed picture of what happened when, when uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and, and that whole camp came in, tried to destroy things, and God intervened. So why is Zechariah talking about that? You know, I read this and I go, man, he is way off course. Like he's supposed to be ministering to those guys trying to build the temple, and all of a sudden he's off talking about probably 300 years later. And I'm thinking, what's up, Zeke, right? What are you doing? Why are you way over there? Well, I think it's for this reason, so they would know something. God is on their side. And no matter how bleak it gets, no matter how dark it gets, no matter what happens, that, hey, you guys need to keep trusting the Lord, keep walking with the Lord, and know that God, you know, will bring that victory that they need to complete the temple, and that he will be there, and God is going to take care of them. And you and I need to know that. Listen, and I'm not saying that, you know, your life is always gonna be great and full of, you know, a bed of roses and everything perfect, but God is on our side, and we need to understand that. And we need to walk with that kind of confidence when things come our way. So again, I think he's just laying that out. Now, as we continue on here, listen, here's the crazy thing. Now, as he, as he begins to uh, minister here, I think he's gonna just kind of show that he's gonna strengthen Judah. He's gonna strengthen Israel. God is, again, going to be there no matter what it looks like, no matter how bad it gets. So in verse uh, one of chapter 10, it says, ask the Lord for the rain in the time of the latter rain and the Lord will make flashing clouds and he will bring them showers of rain grass in the field for everyone now we know in the southwest how important a rainy season is right that we missed this year so at least it's missing my house 
It's like, golly, I'm living in a wrong place. So, but we know, we know, listen, we know the rainy season is important. Well, it's like a hundred times more important in Israel. You gotta understand, in the Middle East, one of the most valuable assets that a nation can have is water. Water is the thing, if they can control the water, they can control the region. And water's important in Israel at this time. Even way back then, water was important. Maybe they didn't have all the dams and all of the things they, they have now, but water's still important, and here's the whole point. Is the latter rain gonna come? That's the rain around March and April, and that's the time when we go, is in March and April, and we get rained on. But, you know, we pray it doesn't rain, they're praying for rain, and we see who's most, more spiritual, us or them. No, that's not true. <laughs> we just pray it rains every night and doesn't rain during the day. But listen, man, here's the thing. The latter rains for them is everything. That means everything. And so God is letting him know, listen, ask the Lord for the latter rains and he'll bring them. And then he goes on to talk about, listen, here was the problem that was, was preventing some of what was going on. He says, for the idols speak de uh, delusion, the diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain, therefore the people wend their way like sheep, and they are troubled because there is no shepherds. So here's what, was, what can happen, is you begin to look at other things rather than the Lord. And you begin to trust in other things rather than trusting in the Lord. And for us, it may be, you know, some kind, of, some kind of technology or something in our generation. But for them, the big technology thing was diviners, soothsayers, different things going on. Hey, they believe that, listen, if you controlled the little idols, you controlled things around you. Remember when, remember when uh, 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 Rebecca took off with uh, uh, Jacob? Remember when they took off and she took the household idols? Now, listen, Laban wasn't upset just because he didn't have his idols to worship. Laban was upset because whoever had the idols controlled the family. And my idols are gone. My control is gone. And that's why he rode so hard and went after him so hard. It wasn't that, hey, you stole my gods and now I don't have a god to worship, although that's a little bit there, but that's a little funky, right? Whenever I hear that, man, whenever people say, don't mess with my God, you know, my little plastic God, I'm thinking, well, if I can mess with your God, I'm not sure I want a God like that. You know, but listen, man, that's the whole thing. And Israel is still stuck in that. That's why they went into captivity. They're stuck in that. So here's what the Lord is saying. Are you gonna ask the Lord for the latter rain? Or are you gonna trust in this? And here's what you know about this. They're full of lies and deception. Why do you keep going back to that? And you know, we need to ask ourselves, why do, we, why do we go back to the things that are ripping us off as believers? You know why? We have this thing called the flesh. And the flesh wants to trust. Here's what the flesh wants. The flesh wants to trust in what it can see. Doesn't want to walk by faith. Walking by faith is hard. And so God is letting him know. And then he says in verse three, he says, my anger is kindled against the shepherds and I will punish the goat herds for the Lord of hosts will visit his flock and the house of Judah and will make them his royal horse 
in the battle. So here's what he's saying, man. I'm gonna come against the shepherds. I'm gonna come against those who are ripping you off. Not so much against you. And I think the whole goat herd thing, you know, it is said, and I'm, I'm surely not, you know, a shepherd in that way or a, a raising sheep or been around sheep. But they would use the goats to kind of herd the sheep and they would, you know, oftentimes you see a goat and it's, you know, in the, in the movies and stuff has a bell and it's cling, 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 cling when it's walking. Well, that's all about, then the sheep would follow the goat into maybe a place of slaughter because they're following the goat. Sheep are stupid. Well, they are. You know, they just follow. They just do it. And they're going to follow. So, so listen, I think when he's talking about the goat herds here, he's talking about those who are ripping others off. And they're leading them into those places. They're leading them where they shouldn't go and where they shouldn't be. So God says, listen, man, I'm going to deal with that. And I'm going to take care of, I'm going to take care of the house of Judah. And I'm going to take care of Israel. And then he begins to talk about, again, this one who's going to come. Look at verse 4. From him comes the cornerstone. From him the tent peg. From him the battle bow. From him every ruler together. So here's what he's saying. When the Messiah comes... Everything is going to be set up. In other words, I'm going to take care of the false shepherds and I'm going to bring the real shepherd. And when the real shepherd comes, there's going to be stability. There's going to be power. There's going to be control. And he's going to be in charge. So again, those things are just representing the, the, what he is going to bring, not that he's going to be a tent peg, so to speak. And then verse five, and they shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the of in the mire of the streets in the battle and they shall fight because the Lord is with them and the riders on the horses shall put uh, shall be put to shame so God is saying that and then in verse 6 I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph and I will bring them back because, they have, because I have mercy on them for they shall be as though I had not cast them aside for I am the Lord their God and I will hear them. Now that's some good news, right? Here's what God is saying, man. I'm gonna take care of them and why is God gonna take care of them? Same reason he takes care of us, why? Because he's a God of mercy, I think oftentimes, some of us, if we're honest, we kind of think we deserve it. Like, God should do that because he owes us. Like, Lord, I read my Bible today. You owe me. And God goes, oh, wow, really? You read your Bible? I'm so impressed. What can I do for you? Listen, God's not at our beck and call. And if you're reading your Bible to impress God, stop it. You need to read your Bible to change you so you can grow, so you can understand, not because you're trying to impress God. And so here's what God is saying, man. He goes, listen, man, I'm gonna come. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna deliver Judah, and I'm gonna do this stuff because of mercy, not because I owe you. And then he tells them in verse seven, those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their heart shall uh, rejoice as if with wine. Yes, their children shall see it and be glad, and their heart shall rejoice in the Lord, and I will whistle for them and gather them, and I will redeem them, and they shall increase as they once, or as, as they once increased. 
and I will, the Lord says, I will sow them among the peoples and they shall remember them, me, they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live together with their children and they shall return. You kind of get the idea. God is saying, hey, they're gonna be scattered again but they're gonna remember me. And whether he's looking, you know, when they were scattered and they came back or whether they, in, in AD 70, they were scattered, right? And then they came back in 1948 and they may be scattered again, but here's what God says. You can scatter my people, but they'll remember me no matter where they go. And once again, Israel is, a, is, is amazing just for that. When people tell me, I don't know, you know, if this whole Israel God thing is a real thing. Really? Like they didn't have a country for almost 2,000 years. And when they got their country, they all came back with their same uh, thought, their same thing going on. Come on, you don't do that. No other nation has ever done that. So, hey, they're real and they're really gods. And he's saying that again here. Hey, you may be scattered. I'm gonna take care of you. And then he tells them in verse 10, I will bring you back from the land of Egypt. And I will gather you from Assyria. I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until no more room is found for them. Now that hasn't happened yet, right? They're not so full in there that there's no more room. And then he says, to them and he shall pass through uh, he shall pass through the sea with affliction and strike the waves of the sea and the depths of the river shall dry uh, shall dry up then the pride of Assyria shall be brought down and the scepter of Egypt shall depart so I will strengthen them in the Lord and they shall walk up and down in his name says the Lord so all of that is good news so bottom line here's what he's saying there's going to be a time where Alexander the Great's going to come and do these things. Then, this, you know, then uh, Antiochus Epiphany is going to try his thing. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be scattered. I'm going to take care of you. Now we get down to, I think, the direction he was going. He's already brought up that the Messiah is going to come lowly riding on a donkey. Now he's going to bring up, here's the problem. They're going to reject the Messiah. They're not going to accept him. Even though it's spoken about here, it's going to be spoken about again in, in chapters uh, uh, 12 and 13 and 14, they're going to reject. And when, listen, when you reject that, you're rejecting the word of the Lord. And you and I need to think about in our own lives, how often do we reject the word of the Lord? Now, I know most of us are going to say, I never do that. We do. We do, and we need to be careful. So here he says, open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Well, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for, for the cedar has fallen, because the mighty trees are ruined. Well, uh, and he says, uh, uh, well, O oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has come down. There the sound of wailing shepherds for their glory is in ruins and the sound of the roar and, and there is the sound of roaring lions for the pride of Judah is in its ruins. What do you think he's talking about? What did they build the temple with? All of the cedars and all of the lumber came out of Lebanon and they came and they brought it all in and bottom line, it's interesting when you think about Alexander the Great marched through there and God protected the temple. 
Antiochus Epiphanes came and God protected the temple. He couldn't destroy the temple. And he couldn't do things. And it seemed to happen several times. Now, along comes a guy named Titus who tells his people even, tells his generals, don't touch the temple. And they torch the temple. And it's burning. And I believe that's what he's talking about here as, he, as he's talking about the, the trees and all of them being on fire and all of them catching on fire. And he says, hey, that's what's going on. And Israel was destroyed. Why was Israel destroyed in 70 AD? Because they rejected the Messiah. You know, it cracks me up when we go to Israel. Our one guide, Ronnie, that we use always kind of gets into this thing about, you know, why is Israel so picked on? Why did all these bad things happen to Israel? You know, the Holocaust. Why did 70 AD? Why, you know, and, and uh, you know, every time I sit with him and I go, Ronnie, here's why it happened. Because you guys have rejected your God. I said, read Deuteronomy chapter 28. It explains it to you. It tells you point blank exactly what's going to happen. And God lays it all out. And all of the things that have happened to Israel are spoken of way back in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And then he does this. I do not discuss theology. And I go, this isn't theology. This is truth. This is what's going on. So you got to think about that, man. When that nation pushed away the Messiah they brought a lot of destruction on themselves. So here's God is saying, listen, you've done that. And then he says, thus says the Lord my God. He said, feed the flock for the slaughter. Are you picking up on this? You get the flock ready for the slaughter because the slaughter's coming. And he says, listen, feed the flock for the slaughter whose owners slaughtered them and feel no guilt those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, and the shepherds do not pity them. For I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord, but indeed I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king, and they shall attack the land, and I will not deliver them from their hand. So I fed the flock for slaughter. Now here's an interesting thing. As we get into this, here's what I believe is going on. I believe Zechariah went and got a flock of sheep. And I believe he's acting this out. That, hey, Jeremiah acted out, uh, acted the things out. Ezekiel definitely did, right? Ezekiel had a whole bunch of crazy stuff to do. And even, uh, you know, even Isaiah did some. So listen, man, I think here's what happened. I think God said, okay, Zechariah, Go get some sheep. And you start feeding the sheep and you start fattening them up. And you let everybody see you do this and you act this out in front of them. So when he says, hey, this is what's going on and I fed them, I think he's talking about the sheep he had. And he says, so I had the flock of the slaughter. Uh, I'm sorry, so I fed the flock for slaughter, in particular the poor of the flock. And I took for myself two staffs one called beauty and the other called bonds, or you have beauty and some say bands. Beauty is for the greatness of God and, and the bands are, or, or bonds is the, the 
oversight of the Lord. So one is, listen, one is for the beauty and the good, and the other is, hey, we belong to the Lord. So he's got his two staffs, which that would be kind of crazy. Usually they had one staff, right? But he's got his two staffs going, and so now he's got these sheep in front of him that are getting really fat, and he's got his two staffs, and I'm thinking, this is getting a little bit freaky, right? So he says, man, I took one staff, and, and I called it beauty, and the other I called uh, bonds, and uh, he says, and I, and I fed the flock. I dismissed three shepherds in one month. My soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Now, I did a little bit research on verse 8. There's like 40 different opinions on what verse 8 means. And I'm thinking, that's a lot of opinions. That's a, you know, and, and most of it are Old Testament scholars or, you know, even Jews interpreting and, and what's happening. And, and so here's what I came to the conclusion. I'm not real sure we know what he's talking about when he says I fired three shepherds. Some, most, most people, I, I think the, you know, the, at least to me, the people that I kind of agreed with is he's talking about prophet, priest, and kings. In other words, God said, I got rid of all of that. Why? He's going to bring the Messiah. You have to remember, so maybe that, but others say it represented this in the Old Testament and that in the Old Testament, although I'm not sure that's the direction he was going. But he says, listen, I got rid of them. And then verse 9 says, then I said, I will not feed you. Let what is, uh, let what is dying die and what is perishing perish and he says, then he says, let those that are left eat each other's flesh. And I took my staff, beauty, and I cut it in two that I might break the covenant which I had made with all the peoples. So it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. So listen, man, he's doing this now. He's illustrating he's broken his staff. And here's what's going on. They've broken their trust with the Lord. And then a passage that we're going to be reading about that we read a little bit about in chapter 26 of Matthew. We'll read more about in chapter 27. He says, then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. Again, we're going to read about that. That's the whole thing of they sold the Messiah for 30 pieces of silver. And Zechariah is acting it out centuries before. And then verse 13 says, And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter. And the pricely prince, uh, they, uh, and the pricely uh, price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and I threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Exactly what Judas did, right? Now, here's what's fascinating. I'm kinda, I, I kind of want to wait to talk about this when we get into it in Matthew chapter 27. But a little preview so you'll come for Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew chapter 27, when Matthew talks about this, here's what Matthew says. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, not the prophet Zechariah. So we got a little bit of a dilemma, right? So stay tuned. We'll talk about it more. I, I think there's some reasonable explanations. And I, you know, I'll, you want me to give you like a half of one tonight? Uh, part, part, of what, part of one is that because 
uh, because Jeremiah was a major prophet? Because Jeremiah has something to say about this. Not, not what all that Zechariah says, but something. And because Jeremiah was a major prophet and Zechariah was a minor prophet, doesn't mean major and minor league, but more writing, less writing, that they attributed, they put the whole thing together and attributed it to the major prophet. So we'll leave it there. There's some other explanations, but you have to come to get the, you have to come to, Matthew 27 to get the whole explanation. But Matthew didn't blow it. I, w- I want to say this much. Matthew didn't blow it, and, you know, because if Matthew blew it and attributed that to the wrong prophet, now we suddenly have a problem with the Bible, right? Matthew didn't blow it. What he said was correct and more to follow. So, I'd like that. You going to come for Matthew 27? It'll be in a couple weeks we'll get there. So maybe, maybe two and a half weeks. We'll do it on a Thursday night. No. We'll do it, you know what, maybe we'll do it like on a Tuesday night. And then you can, just kidding. So listen, he lays that out. And again, this is quoted, but it is interesting that, that here uh, Zechariah is bringing up. He threw it into the potter. And then verse 14 says this. And I cut into my other staff bonds that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. So listen, man, when, when the Messiah came and they rejected him, that ruined everything. That broke everything apart. The covenant, everything. We need to understand that. They were rejecting God and they were rejecting everything. So think about, think about this before you read this last part because this last part to me is fascinating with Zechariah. There, this is a whole picture of them saying no to God we don't want to believe you. We don't want to trust you. We don't want to accept the Messiah. So listen to what he says in verse 15. And the Lord said to me, next, take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. And he says then, or he says, for indeed I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those who are broken, nor feed those that shall stand, but he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves to pieces. Here's the, who's he talking about? He's talking about the Antichrist. Daniel chapter nine. You know, it's amazing what we will believe when we reject the truth. And we see that, listen, man, we see that repeated in history. We can see it in our generation. Some of the things that come out of people's mouths right now, I'm dumbfounded, like, seriously? You can believe that? And you can't believe the truth? Well, these guys rejected the Messiah, so here's what they're doing. They're accepting, listen, they're accepting this foolish shepherd that that God is gonna raise up, and then verse... uh, Verse 17, woe to the worthless shepherd who, lo- who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall be completely, with- his arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. Here's what God is saying. He's gonna come, you're gonna accept him, but I'll take care of him eventually. The Antichrist doesn't win. I think most of us know that, Right? If you don't know that, read Revelation for homework. In the dark, outside, (laughs) under the stars. See, Zechariah, to me, this this part, and I know for some of us you might have gone, that was a a lot of history, and it was a little bit boring tonight, Pat. 
Like I didn't, I didn't like get it. But here's the thing. If you were sitting in Jerusalem, thinking about building the temple, and you were discouraged, and you were beat up, and you saw the nations coming against you, and this guy, this guy shows up and he starts speaking these words to you, you think that's gonna encourage you? It's gonna do one of two things. It's either gonna encourage you or you're gonna completely reject him. But here's what he says. Here's the path you need to go and here's what God can do and if you choose this path, here's exactly what's gonna happen to you, which happened to them, we know. But listen, he's not saying you guys are doomed for this. He's saying you need to choose today who you're gonna serve. And they can make that choice. So Zechariah, listen, wasn't just spewing stuff to bore them or make them tired. He was trying to show them the difference between following God and not following God and the consequences of following God and not following God. And you and I need to know, even as believers, listen, I know as believers, some of us think, well, I do everything right. Well, now you're kind of a hypocrite. And that's why a lot of people don't go to church. You don't do everything right. And we blow it. But we have a God who shows mercy. All we have to do is come humbly to him and trust him. Let's stand up and pray. Father, as we get ready to to close tonight and, and we just think about, Lord, what we've read and, and what we've looked at. And, and God, I know, I know that some of it is just like, some of it is, I think for some of us, like, who really cares? And I kind of get that. But to me, Lord, it's fascinating that, number one, you had this man speak most of this at least 100 years before it happened. And the majority of it hundreds if not thousands of years before it happened and God as we look back and we can read it now from from the future and we can look back and see how your word was fulfilled and how clearly it was fulfilled and how all of these things distinctly happened that we should know from that that we can trust you and we can believe you And we can put our faith in you. Hey, those guys sitting in Jerusalem listening to him didn't have that advantage. And we know from reading the rest of Ezra that they jumped up in Nehemiah, that they jumped up and they did the work because you sent this guy to speak truth to them. And so, Lord, I pray the truth we hear tonight would cause us to jump up and serve you and get the work done that's in front of each one of us and that we could glorify you with our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.